Take the needle off the record. The lead starts right now. One candidate seems to accuse Joe Biden of having a senior moment. Beto O'Rourke makes a promise on guns that some in the Republican Party are calling a gift to them. Where last night's debate takes the 2020 Democratic candidates going forward. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. If I go back to Honduras, I will die. Sick undocumented immigrants facing deportation, fearing death after a move by the Trump administration takes away a safety net that many say is keeping them alive. Plus, as the Amazon burns, President Trump wants to open for business the largest national forest in the United States. Why chopping away at this natural wonder could affect all of us. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with the 2020 lead today after the third Democratic presidential debate last night in Houston. Today, Democrats and observers are asking a number of crucial questions, starting with how solid is the frontrunner status of former Vice President Joe Biden? One attack on Biden in particular from former HUD Secretary Julian Castro about whether Biden had forgotten something he had said just two minutes before, received boos from the audience and tut-tutting from the punditocracy Moments ago, Biden brushed it off when asked by CNN how he viewed the attack. I don't view it as anything. I think he just got his facts wrong. But the question about Biden's sharpness and his vigor hangs like the sword of Damocles above the Democratic Party. Is the candidate who has ridden so far on the mantle of electability actually going to ultimately prove to be electable? And though some pundits said the debate was arguably the best of the three so far for the former vice president, Other progressive commentators are saying today that a rambling answer Biden gave about the legacy of slavery was disqualifying. CNN's Jeff Zeleny kicks off our coverage. Are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? Are you forgetting already what you said just two minutes ago? Former Vice President Joe Biden brushing aside another round of attacks on the Democratic debate stage, this time from Julian Castro, a housing secretary under President Obama. Biden's campaign calling it a cheap shot and a low blow in an email to supporters today. Two minutes ago, that they Castro defending his words but not repeating them after being widely panned for a thinly veiled swipe at Biden's memory. I wouldn't do it differently. Uh, that was not a personal attack. After the debate, Senator Cory Booker also raising questions about Biden's fitness for office. Because there's a lot of people who are concerned about uh, Joe Biden's ability to carry the ball all the way across the end line without fumbling. But reversing course today. And forgive me if my football metaphor about fumbling the ball. Uh, is being taken uh, out of context. But uh, the reality is, is I want to get into the end zone. I think we need to win. The Democratic debate in Houston last night proved at least one thing. The 2020 primary fight is likely to go the distance, driven by deep divisions about how far left the party is willing to go. Front and center is health care and whether to expand on Obamacare as Biden is proposing. I know that the senator says she's for Bernie. Well, I'm for Barack. I think the Obamacare worked. Or to follow the lead of Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren by dramatically overhauling the health care system with the Medicare for All plan. While Sanders says taxes on the middle class would increase but be offset by lower overall health care costs, Warren declined to answer that politically sensitive question. The richest individuals and the biggest corporations are going to pay more. And middle class families are going to pay less. 
That's how this is going to work. Senator Amy Klobuchar sounding the alarm about the wisdom of abolishing private health insurance. And while Bernie wrote the bill, I read the bill. And on page eight, on page eight of the bill, it says that we will no longer have private insurance as we know it. And that means that 149 million Americans will no longer be able to have their current insurance. So certainly a deep discussion of health care, Jake, that did not settle anything at all. In fact, it just exposed the deep divisions that do exist inside this Democratic Party. But Joe Biden, for his part, is downplaying that moment with Julian Castro at a fundraiser earlier today in Houston. One donor tells me the former vice president didn't bring it up at all, but he did make a bit of a joke that when people attack him, it doesn't turn out that well for them. But Jake, the question is, how well will it turn out for Joe Biden? He's still leading this race. But he had some challenges as well last night. He sure did. Jeff Zeleny, thanks so much. Let's chew over all this. Uh, And Angela, let me start with you. I've seen a lot of criticism of former Vice President Biden over this exchange. Take a listen. What responsibility do you think that Americans need to take to repair the legacy of slavery in our country? Well, they have to deal with the, the look, there is institutional segregation in this country. And from the time I got involved, I started dealing with that redlining banks, making sure that we are in a position where, look, talk about education. We bring social workers into homes of parents to help them deal with how to raise their children. It's not that they don't want to help. They don't want, they don't know quite what to do. Play the radio, make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night, the the, the phone. I've seen a lot of people criticizing, a lot of African-Americans in particular, criticizing that, that answer for being from a different century. I don't know what he was answering, um, but it wasn't the question. And I would start with the fact that just this same week, Jake, um, we are in the middle of Congressional Black Caucus Foundation activities, started the week off with a commemoration of the 400th year that the first um, documented enslaved person arrived to these shores. The fact that Joe Biden's response to that question would go to the same type of victim blaming that we've seen from conservatives for decades is sad. I think it also is highly problematic that Joe Biden has not yet um, dealt with whether or not he has a black agenda. Um, When we talk about racism in this country, it's not about parents not knowing how to raise their children. And then for him to say that on the stage at Texas Southern University, which is a historically black college, which shameless plug, I did the commencement speech this spring. (laughs) I am, I'm just, I just, I I don't know if he's not listening to his black advisors because he has them. Sure, Sanders is Yes, a good sister friend of mine. I know that Simone would not have encouraged him to give that answer. And I want him to really come to terms with the fact that things are different from when he started in politics. He's been in politics a long time even different from when he served as vice president for both terms for Barack Obama. It is a different day and age, and it is required, it is incumbent upon him to have a black agenda. It is the reason why 52% of the respondents to the black census by the Black Futures Lab say they don't think politicians care about black people. What did you think of that answer, Jen? You know, I think Angela raises a lot of important points. He didn't answer the question. It's an important one that he should answer. He does need to have a black agenda. He can't just rely on being a friend of Barack Obama and older African-Americans supporting him from now until all the voting is through. I read this a couple of times um, because when I heard it last night, I was focused on the record player and that was just throwing yeah. me off. Mm-hmm. And ha- what, how I heard it um, was 
that he just lost his way on the answer, that he didn't answer the question. He started talking about poor schools, poor families, his uh, his wife, uh, who was a teacher, his his uh, deceased wife, who's a teacher. Then he started talking about what should happen for low income communities that he completely lost his way. Now, that's how he, I read he it. He finished the answer by talking about Venezuela. He finished the answer was, by talking yeah, about Venezuela. It, it was so I, I would argue that I don't think his intention was how it was heard. Now, that may not be important. What's important is how people are hearing it. But I don't think he he didn't specifically say African-American parents are failing and they're doing X. I just, Who was he talking about when he said a social worker needs to go into the home and tell people how to raise their kids? In? And I just I just have to say, as the only black person sitting at this table, that I think it's not fair that we have we have to continue to accept that's not what this person meant. That's not what they intended when the impact of this country for 400 years has been a devastating blow to my community. I just want him to do better. I'm not saying he can't recover from this, but he's got to own that where he's been isn't good anymore. I agree he needs to do better. I'm not arguing yeah. that. I, I just think that what, hearing this answer, and I think what's important is how people heard it and how they digested it yeah. and what they think they need to hear more yeah. of. But that's just how I digested as I read it. And he, he continues to enjoy overwhelming mm-hmm. support among uh, African-American Democratic uh, voters, uh, really propping up in a lot of in a lot of places. 42%, I think, in our last national mm-hmm. poll compared to 24% among the population at large. I think a lot of that is uh, because of his being vice president to Barack Obama. And I think a lot of it also is that a lot of African-American Democrats want the most electable candidate because they want to be Donald Trump. But precisely, precisely because African-American support is such a huge part of his winning formula, of him being able to win this nomination, he needs to have very good answers and very good policy proposals. He needs to really tighten this up. And look, he should have. I, I was on The View the day after he announced, and Sonny Hostin asked him about reparations. Mm-hmm. He's been having to give answers and explanations about race and, and some of his past positions since the moment he announced. He's got to get these answers buttoned up. He owes it to everybody voting, yeah. but he owes it particularly to this community who is propping him up. And Amanda, uh, what we haven't said uh, yet, and although I think Julian Castro was alluding to it and Tim Ryan has suggested, is it uh, former Vice President Biden uh, will be 77 mm-hmm. in November? Now, age is not necessarily uh, indicative of how somebody's mind is or how sharp they are. Bernie Sanders is actually a year older. Right. Uh, uh, but there are a lot of people saying that he doesn't have his fastball. Well, his answers are confusing. Uh, like this question he got in the debate, it presents two problems. They were black voters looking for an answer on institutional racism. But other people who just couldn't understand what he was saying, uh, that plays into the idea that he doesn't have his act together. And it's not just that he's old. He's been around for a long time. He has lived his public adult adulthood in full view, and he still doesn't understand these questions, that is what's alarming. Because if you're looking for a statesman, he should be able to act like it, and he just fumbles these easy I got to tell you, I don't think he didn't understand the yeah, question. I, I think so sometimes either. when you're doing debate prep, mm-hmm. they try to put so much into your head, and I think he was he had all of these things he wanted to get out, and he got them out yeah. in the wrong question, and it made no sense. And let me just say, uh, props to ABC's Lindsay Davis, who was mm. really, really sharp, and that was a really good question. Yeah. So was Jorge Ramos. Jorge Ramos was great, too. Uh, up next, Beto O'Rourke's big moment, and why some Democrats are concerned that he just gave Republicans a big gift. Then, uh, the move that the Trump administration just made that could put the largest national forest in the United States at risk. Stay with us. 
And we're back sticking with the 2020 lead and congressional Democrats today say that they're nervous about that line from Beto O'Rourke calling for a mandatory buyback of semi-automatic weapons. One Democratic source telling CNN that the line sent shockwaves throughout Capitol Hill for those trying to make a deal with Republicans and the White House on expanding background checks for gun sales. Here's what uh, O'Rourke said. And in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an Mm AR-15. And that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your (laughs) AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. Um, The crowd seemed to like it. They did. Uh, Look, I've heard what congressional Democrats have said. I've seen what... Some senators have said on the record, I think that's incredibly Mm -hmm. outdated and disconnected from Mm -hmm. where the American electorate is on gun violence. I mean, it's not just... You're talking about Chris Coons, a senator from Delaware, saying that uh, this line is going to be used against Mm -hmm. Democrats by the NRA forever. Yes, look, and that would have been the case 15 years ago. I mean, I worked for John Kerry. We had to go find some slow birds for him to shoot so he could prove that he could hunt, right? (laughs) Slow birds. Yeah, right. Well, slow. I don't think he's not really a hunter. Um, Things have changed a lot since then. And, you know... It's like they give them wine. Sorry. Um, funny. Things have changed a lot since then. Uh, It's not just an issue, obviously, in inner cities. It continues to be an issue. But it's also an issue in suburbs. And, uh, frankly, among a lot of white families and white mothers who thought they were moving into a suburb where it was safe and they're sending their four and five-year-olds who are doing uh, drills for gun violence. This is something that is impacting every community. And I think the congressional Democrats who are saying that need to get out of Washington and go start to talk to some moms and talk to more people. Uh, And I think this could help Beto O'Rourke. He's done himself a lot of damage, so his road back is very long. um, But, you know, it could help him a little bit in the polls. Let me just get in here. I am one of those moms who's very worried about school shootings, believe in the Second Amendment. I am angry with what Beto O'Rourke said, not because I think it's unworkable. It's because I think it's going to stop any chance of anything getting done in Washington. If you want stronger background checks, red flag laws, two things I'm very interested in. Beto just did a huge disservice to that because no Republican can go to the table now in good faith thinking that liberals just don't want to take your guns because you have Beto on the tape right there. And so it's going to be a huge problem in the election. I think it significantly increases the chances that Trump will be reelected. It is that damaging. But you guys, why would, would, I mean, let me just ask you this. Why would something that Beto O'Rourke, a former congressman who lost a Senate seat Mm -hmm. and is at what, 3% in the polls, matter? But I, I bet you that it wasn't just Democrats applauding that. I think the reality of it is, like, who needs an AR-15? Who needs an AK-47? And if Republicans and the crooked NRA can't understand that, that's too bad. And that's exactly why they can't fund ads for the next 15 years, because they're going to go out. Listen, they I'm are gone. I'm not a fan of that weapon. I think there's things that you could do to increase so the then what, what do you have to issue, make it harder to get. But if what you issue do you have with what he said? The said. government is going to go knocking on every door what and taking issue? weapons out of someone's house. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amanda. if you want federal licensing <laughs> of guns, this is exactly Amanda. what every gun but, owner but hold on, Hold on, Jen. Hold on, Jen. Here's my question. Which gun do you want folks to be able to have, the AK-47 or the AR-15? I mean, I... Okay, but that's my point. That's my point, because that's what he said. So I'm saying, if we're going to blame him for doing something so damaging, tell me which gun people... Let's bring in Jen for a second. Your point you made, Amanda, would be relevant and applicable if we were in a real, on-the-level situation in Washington. There is no situation where Donald Trump is going to sign any gun legislation into law. 
He is not, I swear. And the Republicans and Mitch McConnell are not going to let him do it. So what I am happy to see is Democrats having a real conversation about this and not around the edges. They're saying we need to have fewer guns. We need to go after people who have assault weapons. That is far better than these conversations about background checks and things that are important but, but Jack, aren't going to solve the problem. you just said it's so different from what he said. If he had said, we, we're not going to have AR-15s and AK-47s going forward. We're going to institute an aggressive buyback plan. That's very different than, than, than going exactly to that NRA talking point. Mm-hmm. All Democrats want is to take away all your guns. And that has a, a visceral reaction. Look, I'm not an expert in guns. I don't even know how to operate a glue gun. But I am an expert at seeing people have to bury their children. And I am an expert at seeing children have to do drills to evacuate a school. And I am sick and sick and sick and tired of all as is all America of these mass shootings. And so we need to get to a practical place, a place that can actually pass politically. We need to demand more. But this is not the place to start. And I don't think that's productive to the conversation and the solution I want. But that's, I think, again, part of what we have to do as commentators who heard the actual words that came out of his mouth or use the words that came out of his mouth. He did not say, I want to go and take away everyone's guns. What we're talking about are the kinds of guns that are responsible for the mass shootings where we have to keep saying that you're in our thoughts and our prayers. It's time for this to be in our actions. And incrementalism has never served any of us well, particularly communities of color, low-income communities. We can't do this incrementally. But what he said is, hell yes, we're going to take away your And Amanda, I want to ask you because O'Rourke uh, tweeted a picture of a rifle with the caption, Beto has a ban for that, uh, uh, taking off uh, the war. Elizabeth Warren has a plan for that. Texas State Representative Briscoe Kane responded, May I, my AR is uh, ready for you, Robert Francis, his, okay. his given name. Twitter ultimately ended up removing Kane's tweet mm-hmm. after O'Rourke uh, reported to the FBI that it was a death threat. Uh, Kane said his tweet was just playing off a popular Texas saying, come and take it. Um, I mean, so you didn't like that. I'm, I'm sure you probably didn't like what Congress, I mean, Representative yeah. uh, Briscoe Kane had to say either. Yeah, it's pathetic. And it's especially pathetic when Twitter has higher standards for speech than a, a U.S. congressman does. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, state, know, state representative. That's become, but, yeah. that's become so status quo. And I, I find it really unseemly. Mm-hmm. You know, yesterday we had Liz Cheney and Rand Paul in a Twitter fight. We've had Dan Crenshaw and Ocasio-Cortez in these ridiculous Twitter fights. Now it's this, folks, pick up a damn phone if you want to talk to a fellow, a colleague or a fellow politician and have a real conversation. And and stop this stupid play. Because it's all... I'm very (laughs) happy that the players are coming back, by the way. But it's it's all part of this dunking culture where that's all that matters is dunking. Everyone stick around. And the next Democratic presidential debate... We're announcing right now uh, is right here on CNN. We're going to team with the New York Times for the event in Columbus, Ohio, on Tuesday, October 15th. Coming up, moments ago, Oscar-nominated actress Felicity Huffman just left court after being sentenced for her role in that college cheating and fraud scandal. She's heading to prison. Stay with us. And we're back with the breaking news. Actress Felicity Huffman leaving court moments ago after being sentenced to 14 days in prison and a $30,000 fine. For her role in the college admissions cheating and fraud scandal, let's get right to CNN's Bryn Gingras. She's outside federal court in Boston. Bryn, what did the actress have to say about this? 
You know, Jake, she released a statement, again, taking ownership for her part in this huge college admission scam. I want to read part of it to you. She says, I accept the court's decision today without reservation. I broke the law. I have admitted that there are no excuses or justifications for my actions, period. Now, she was very tearful in front of the judge before that judge handed down her decision of the two weeks behind bars. And the judge essentially explaining that punishment, saying this wasn't about the colleges losing their reputation or about the test taking process. This was about privileged kids getting yet another leg up in the college admission system. So really sending a message there. And Felicity Huffman is going to have to report on October 25th to start this sentencing. Of course, the Bureau of Prisons will decide where she will serve that time. Jake. All right, Bryn Jean Gress, thanks so much. I want to bring in former federal prosecutor uh, Ellie Honig. Uh, Ellie, what would you make of the sentence? So, Jake, overall, this is a win for the prosecutors. Yes, 14 days is an extraordinarily short sentence in our federal system. But ultimately, this was a message sentence. And I think the message to Felicity Huffman that prosecutors and the judge were trying to send is, yes, this is a real crime. You cheated the system and all the wealth and privilege and access in the world can't give you a complete free walk out of jail. Although I have to say, I mean, I've seen some progressive commentators online talking about how There is an African-American woman in Texas right now in jail for five years because she wasn't supposed to be able to vote and she voted illegally in 2016. Five years for that. And Felicity Huffman, who did a huge fraud uh, in which there's demonstrable harm to institutions and individuals who didn't get into the school, uh, gets 14 days, which I think a lot of people might see as a slap on the wrist. Yeah, Jake, it really is an injustice and it's an inequity in our system. And when you hear the Democratic candidates for president and Republican candidates talking about criminal justice reform and disparities, this is a perfect example where we see that in play. I think the sentence in Texas is a clear injustice. It would have been even worse if Felicity Huffman had been given straight probation and never had to go behind bars. So there's a bit of a message here, uh, but I think I think the disparity is on full display. All right, Ellie Honig, thank you so much. Coming up, it may be one of the oddest things President Trump has ever said. Wow, that's quite a that's quite a characterization. What is it? That's coming up next. We're back with the politics lead and President Trump going on yet another bizarre rant. This one was about energy efficient light bulbs. He said that they make his skin look more orange. He was speaking to House Republicans last night in Baltimore. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now. That was far from the only odd comment made by the president of the United States. As Democrats battled it out on the debate stage, President Trump had one to himself in Baltimore. You're a big environmentalist. Can you explain the straw? No, I don't think so. Nobody else can either. At times, the president's hour-long speech at a Republican policy retreat was rambling as he hit Democrats over their calls to get rid of plastic straws and defended rolling back energy efficiency standards for light bulbs. Most importantly, the light's no good. I always look orange. He renewed his attacks on windmills. They make noise. They kill all the birds. The energy is intermittent. And some Democrats plan to deal with the climate crisis. The $100 trillion Green New Deal. That's a beauty. No more cows, no more planes. At one point, he even fact-checked himself. We have the cleanest air. We have the cleanest water that we've ever had in the history of our country right now. And just for the press, because they'll get me on that one, I'm thinking... Let's say the history of our country over the last 25 years. With an eye on 2020, Trump also promised another round of tax cuts. For the middle income people, that is going to be very, very 
inspirational. Those sources say those would have zero chance of passing a Democrat-controlled House. All this as the president is still searching for a new national security advisor. I actually spoke to uh, Mike Pompeo about that. He ruled out giving Secretary of State Mike Pompeo two jobs and claims the number of candidates has tripled. But Trump says whoever he picks will have an easy job. You know why it's easy? Because I make all the decisions and I have to work. Now, Jake, the president might have hit on a slew of topics during that speech to Republicans last night. But one thing he did not mention was gun control or his ideas, what he's going to be willing to put forward to lawmakers as they're wondering behind the scenes what it is the president will commit to. If anything, Caitlin Collins at the White House, thanks so much. Coming up, they are in the United States trying to get life-saving medical treatments. And now some children's lives are in limbo thanks to a confusing change in rules by the Trump administration. Stay with us. In our health league today, kids with cancer and other grave diseases could be kicked out of the United States because of their immigration status. Children, and some adults for that matter, say without the medical care that they are currently receiving in the United States, they will die. This after the Trump administration notified some undocumented immigrant families that they can no longer stay to be treated in the United States because the rules have changed and there is no longer an exemption from deportation for seriously ill patients. Now, a source tells me that Democrats in Congress have demanded answers on this from the Trump administration by close of business today under the threat of subpoena, as CNN's Tom Foreman now reports. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. One after another, they are pleading with Congress, immigrants in the United States for medical care who now fear being forced to go home. This is not a partisan issue. This is a humanitarian issue, and our life depends on it. The issue is a change to a program that has allowed some undocumented immigrant families to stay in the U.S. for treatment of serious medical issues. Applications, about 1,000 a year, were previously handled by U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. But now, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, is in charge. And civil rights advocates say many of those immigrants have been told they must depart or be deported. Jonathan Sanchez is just 16 and was suffocating from cystic fibrosis. He believes if he has to leave his doctors in Boston and go back to Honduras... It will be an illegal homicide because in our countries doesn't exist any type of treatment. To inform families via a letter that, they, um, that their status in this country is at risk is not only... Um, cruel, but it is harmful to these children's health. Immigration advocates immediately sued, but even that legal challenge is being complicated by the mystery of it all. I'm baffled. I've never seen a situation like this before. At a hearing, congressional Democrats asked who ordered this change, when, why, and will anyone get medical deferrals now? We're not able to respond to that today. And you heard right. Who advised you to do this? Immigration officials repeatedly said because of the lawsuit, they would not Um, answer except maybe in writing, maybe in the future. Was this a policy change uh, that was a result of a request from any high-ranking political appointee at the White House? At the advice of counsel, I'm not able to to discuss the the reasons for any, uh, any change. So all Serena Badia from Spain knows is this. She is 14, has a rare heart defect that has already put her through five surgeries, and her future remains wildly uncertain. 
I didn't think I had to come to D.C. to fight for my life. I only thought I had to go to the hospital for that. We reached out to the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services, who once again told us they have little or nothing to say because of the lawsuit. But one immigration official told us whether a very limited version of deferred action will continue is still under review. Jake? Tom Foreman, thanks so much. Uh, Anna Navarro, your, your response to the story. There is no bounds to the, to the depths that this administration can go to when it comes to cruelty against immigrants. Look, uh, immigration policy in the United States has been one that's been guided by many principles, and one of them has been compassion, mm. whether it's towards political asylees, whether it's granting temporary protective status to people fleeing natural disasters. And what we have seen in the last few months in particular is heartlessness against heartlessness after more heartlessness, whether it's denying Bahamians the right to come to the United States who are fleeing a devastated island that's practically a neighborhood of Miami's, whether it's refusing to grant temporary protective status to Venezuelans, even though Trump spends all this time talking against Maduro, who is a murderous dictator, whether it is denying these children mm-hmm the ability to get health care here, denying citizenship to the children born abroad of people serving in the U.S. military. Just name it. Pick a week and pick a topic. The asylum claims, putting children in cages at the border. Our asylum, uh, our, our immigration policy right now has absolutely no heart. And I would tell those Republicans, those Bible-clutching, Christian-valued Republicans, who like to quote the Bible on a daily basis, what are you going to do about this? How are we going to treat children? Is this the image that the United States wants to portray around the world? An image of a country that has no heart and no compassion that can help but won't do so. I I think it is. I think that is the image that a lot of conservative Republicans in Washington want. They, they, They want people to not come here. Well, I think... If anyone in the Trump administration is listening in a very real world way, if you thought kids in cages was a PR disaster, which you should, think about kids getting ripped out of a hospital by ICE agents. Is that really where you want to go? So you have to think, why would they be doing something so stupid, so obviously wrong? Well, Kevin Cuccinelli, who we know, is digging through the depths of regulations that they can move unilaterally in order to do something to reduce the illegal immigrant population because Donald Trump has done nothing. There's no law. So they're desperate for some kind of win where they can show Mm -hmm. that they're reducing this population, but they are nibbling at the edges and they are preying on the most vulnerable and it is going to be a disaster. And speaking of the most vulnerable, as Anna just mentioned, this week the Trump administration decided they will not grant temporary protected status, TPS, to Bahamians affected by Hurricane Dorian, an administration official tells us. TPS has been granted after humanitarian crises since the 1990s, including to uh, victims of the earthquake in Haiti. Well, I think there are, again, no surprises there. We know that it is not humanity or nor compassion that govern his immigration principles or the policies that they put forth. I do want to say um, kudos to Ayanna Presley and other members of the squad who urged for the hearing that we were just watching for sure. from AOC and yeah. Presley did great. They job. should be more responsive to their questions. Hiding behind a lawsuit is pathetic. Yeah, they're entitled to do congressional oversight. Then, you know, people ask and, and, and sometimes complain that we we always talk about race. But, you know, I keep asking myself, what would have happened in this, if this devastating hurricane had hit Norway? 
So with a bunch well, of what I think we know what would happen. Exactly. Not, you know, and there's a consistency here that you touched on, which is that if you are not white, if you are not somebody who looks like Donald Trump and people who surround him, you are not welcome here. And they want to send that message because that's a message that many of their supporters like to hear. Everyone stick around. Thanks so much. Uh, there was outrage around the world over the Amazon rainforest burning. Well, now a forest in Alaska known as North America's Amazon could be looking at the same fate because of a move made by the Trump administration. Stay with us. In our Earth Matters series today, as the Amazon rainforest continues to burn and the Brazilian government faces worldwide scrutiny for emboldening loggers and ranchers to set those fires to clear the land, President Trump and Republican lawmakers want to tear down parts of what is known as America's Amazon, the Tongass Forest. It's the nation's largest national forest and covers most of southeast Alaska, 17 million acres. And as CNN's Bill Weir now reports, even some of the people who could profit from Tongass resources oppose President Trump on this. In the hottest Alaskan summer on record, amid countless signs of a climate in crisis, a camera phone captured a Republican fundraiser on Kenai Peninsula, not far from the Swan Lake fire, now burning for over three months. The President of the United States cares about Alaska. With about Donald Trump on speaker, that is Alaskan Senator Dan Sullivan holding the phone and swatting at hornets. Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker nods and smiles as the president promises to help them drill for oil in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge up north and build a road through protected habitat in the south. Cove Road. King Cove Road, yes, sir. And then Governor Mike Dunleavy enters the picture. He's been bonding with Trump during Air Force One refueling stops. Everything can work with us on our mining concerns, timber concerns. Often bringing a wish list of rules and regulations he wants overturned in the interest of creating new industry. He's a great guy. He's, uh, he's doing something with your logging and all of your other things. We're working on that together and that's moving along. And when the president mentioned logging, they knew exactly what he meant. Republicans want to put new roads into the old growth of Tongass National Forest, the crown jewel of the national forest system. You know, we're, uh, we're very much against that. And I would say first that there's nobody in this town that a mile of road here or there would benefit more than me. Gordon Chu runs a father-son timber operation. So you built this yourself, the whole house? Yep. And while he believes old-growth spruce and cedar can be carefully harvested one tree at a time, he's terrified of a move back to the clear-cutting days of old, when ancient ecosystems were turned into paper. We're not going to be grinding up trees for paper anymore. That's not in my watch. (laughs) When you build a road, you don't know what's going to come down the road. And... The reason that you would build a million-dollar-a-mile road is to extract resources big time. Former Mayor Art Bloom tells me the roadless rule is a result of decades of negotiation to protect a place that soaks up more carbon dioxide than anywhere else in America. You can never have this again, uh, you know, once you cut it. It's going to come back as an even-aged stand that needs to be managed. And And that's a plantation, not a forest. Then it's a plantation, and that won't support the wildlife that this supports. This just into CNN. Bears do poop in the woods. And the bears in these woods poop salmon. The most incredible fertilizer. The kind of fertilizer that grows cathedrals like this. And these days also fuels a multi-billion dollar fishing and tourism industry. So in Alaska, 
if you're gonna talk about cutting down 500 year old trees, even if you're the president, you're gonna make some fishermen really angry. What's your reaction? That's one of shock and dismay, I guess, uh, you know, after all the work that we put in to keep this area roadless and keep this as pristine as we possibly can. And would you characterize yourself as sort of a tree-hugging liberal? No, not at all. <laughs> not a tree-hugging liberal at all. And the governor and, and uh, the president, you know, this is what I'm saying. Do not, do not do this to us. We need to keep this place intact as much as we can. Oh, and Captain Tuck wants me to remind you, these are your trees, America. And any new roads would be built with your tax dollars. Bill Weir, Tenneke Springs, Alaska. In our latest in the Earth Matters series, Bill Weir doing a great piece from Alaska. Thanks so much. Be sure to tune in to State of the Union this Sunday morning. My guests will be Democratic presidential candidates Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Andrew Yang, plus Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. That's at 9 a.m. and noon Eastern on Sunday. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much. See you Sunday morning. Have a great weekend. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.